Dear Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to be in your house, Lord. It's a house of worship, and we're here to worship you, Lord, in both word and song. Lord, if we ought, would ask if there be any sins, Lord, I mean any sins whatsoever that would keep your presence from here. We ask that you forgive us, that we know that you're a loving and forgiving God. But we don't just ask for forgiveness only, we ask for a transformation of heart. Make us into your beautiful image, and may you be with me today as I present your message, for truly nothing that I present today is coming from me. And we, I just ask that the people's hearts are prepared for this message, and I just I praise your name in advance for answering this prayer. And I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I feel like this is too close to something here. Bring that down a little bit here. I think that's better. Is that better? I don't think you really want to hear me breathing the whole time I'm doing this. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm going to actually preach a message today, which is actually like a third part message of, a, of my last two messages. And I know you all remember my last two messages, right? Now, I know you don't. And it's hard to remember everybody's messages. I don't expect you to. But the first message I gave a while back was on the importance of being born again. And how much we as Adventists need to talk a lot more about it. Because we don't talk much about it as I think we should. Because without it, you can't go to the kingdom. And the second message I preached, it was, uh, again, these aren't my messages. I, just, I extract everything from the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy. So none of it's my message. And the second message, it was a message on the importance of actually knowing who Jesus is, not just knowing of Jesus. And the Bible is very clear. There's a, definitely a distinction between those who actually know Jesus and those who only know, know of Jesus. And you'd be surprised there's a lot of people within the church, all churches, even our church, who only know of Jesus, but they actually don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so you have to go back and listen to the second message on that. I extract uh, things from the Bible, the spirit of prophecy on that. Uh, today is the third message, and it, it deals with righteousness by faith. And it's an important subject. And it's all kind of, it's kind of all, it's kind of the same message, but we're going to go deeper into the message than we have before. Because I feel that this message is so important that it's a salvation message, the subject of righteousness by faith. And many uh, Seventh-day Adventists, are us, don't understand it ourselves, really. We all understand, a lot of Adventists understand half of righteous by faith, but they don't understand all of righteous by faith. The Bible says, I should maybe move over this way so I can see it even. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.16, as our brother had read, it is written, be you holy, for I am holy. I mean, you think about that. Is God actually calling us to be holy as he is holy? Something to think about. Something to think about. The Spirit of Prophecy tells us this. A holy life is the most convincing sermon that can be given in favor of Christianity. Imagine that if we can actually become holy people. What a testimony that would be to people in the world of what God can do in us. There's a lot I could uh, say, but um, I also believe that there's another condition or a, there's a statement in another condition that we need to be aware of as well. And it might sound quite strange, but it's in death. And you might say, well, how could death ever be a good message? I'll tell you what, there's a powerful message in death. You know what that is? That when you're dead, you're either saved or you're lost. Right? It doesn't matter how many cars you have. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have or no degrees. It doesn't matter how much money you have or kind of a big house you live in. Where you live in a house or under a bridge, it don't matter. The only thing that matters after you pass away is whether you're saved or you're lost. Amen? So we really, really need to have an understanding of the plan of salvation, wouldn't you say? And wouldn't you say that should be the most important thing in life that we should be focused on? Instead, many of us, including myself, including many of you, we've gone through life collecting things. Well, I got to get this house. You know, I got to get a car. I got to get married. I got to have kids. I got to have a cat and a dog and a right picket fence. And I'm collecting these things. And I want more of these. And I, I want some more. And we collect and collect and collect. And I know about you, but I know people who are older here uh, have definitely come to this conclusion. The older you get, the closer you know that you're coming to the grave. And you start to realize things kind of get put into perspective. You start looking around at all your stuff and you're like, 
Why? <laughs> you know, why am I collecting all this stuff when we know that soon life will be over? Because one thing I've learned, life goes by fast. I mean, it really goes by fast. The clock is ticking and none of us are promised tomorrow. In fact, I was just at a, a funeral just the other day of a brother. I don't know if you know Brother Brad Richards. He passed away. I guess you didn't know that. And he is a, a good, solid Adventist gentleman and he passed away and that's it. Probation's closed. Either you're saved or lost. It's the only thing. Now, I've shared this before. Um, well, let me say this, too. You know, Jesus sends us a warning. He warns us in the Bible of the importance of this. In fact, Jesus says this. For what profit if a man was to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Matthew 16, 26. You know, that's something, that's really deep. If you were to gain everything, the entire world, you own everything. You're free to do whatever you want. You own everything. But in the end, you're lost. You're dead. It's over. What good would it do? That really puts life into perspective, doesn't it? So when I wonder what has been the priority in my life and what has been the priority in your life, there's another statement in the Bible that says this. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So that's it. So once you die... Then you're judged for either to be eternally saved or to be eternally lost. That really puts life in perspective, doesn't it? It's really a wake-up call. It's really a wake-up call. There should be nothing more important in our life than to understand the plan of salvation. Wouldn't you agree? It should be the major focus in our life. Anything else is secondary to that. We need to understand. And that's why the Bible tells us that we're to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. We need to examine ourselves. We need to take time. And I know that whenever Jesus had something really important to say, you know, he always said, truly, truly. Do you ever remember that when he says that? And we know that's an old English term, but if you actually break it down into a, a more modern translation, it stands for the truth, the truth. When Jesus says something, speaks to you and he says, listen, the truth, the truth, and then he tells you something, do you think it's worth hearing? It's very important. We really need to pay attention to that. So I've shared a little bit about this before, but I want to share because I know not all of you were here from the last couple of sermons, so I'm going to repeat some things. When I first became an Adventist, I wasn't, uh, I pretty much wasn't in church. I had a little church when I was a kid, pretty much had a Baptist understanding. And uh, at a, at a, I was a younger age, probably around 19, I had a desire to know the truth. I can't go on all my testimony, but at the time I was in the military, and I couldn't go searching for the truth, but I knew when I got out, I was going to go searching. And I'll make again a long story short, the Lord led me to a meeting. It was an Adventist meeting, but they never told me who they were until the end. So I never knew. And I never heard, when they did tell me they were Seventh-day Adventists, I never heard the name Seventh-day Adventists before. But I was searching for truth. And when I went through that series, man, was I convicted. It's like, wow. Wow, these people are not just any old people. These, this church is not like any other church. It was as if I stepped out of a bright, I mean, out of a dark room into a well-lit room. But the weirdest thing was, when as I was standing in this light of truth, I looked back to the dark room when I was where I was, and I realized one thing. I never realized I was living in the dark. I was living in all these lies. So I praise the Lord for bringing me to this truth. And so the Lord, shortly after, sometime after my baptism, and I had all these truths, all the doctrines that you know, all the ones that you're taught, you know, the state of the dead, the mark of the beast, the millennium, all of them. But you know, even with all those truths that the Lord really impressed upon my heart, that there was something more important that I was missing. And it was just an impression. The Lord didn't tell me what it was, but it's like, you got to go find it. And so what I would do is I would go to listen, I would read books. You know, I would read books from the, some of the oldest, most wisest of the pioneers and see if I can find it. And I never did really find it there. I'm not saying it wasn't there, but I didn't see it. I would even drive to other states and listen to some of the most brilliant men in the Adventist church. And maybe they were even, I look back now, maybe it was a little bit there, but at the time I didn't see it. And so I was searching and searching. And one day I was in a church and there was a, a, a person speaking behind a pulpit and they brought out the importance of character and character perfection. And I thought, 
And it was like a party went off on my head. It was like that, that drawing that was saying, like, yeah, this is it. This is something you need to know. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I mean, this, it really just pricked my heart. It wasn't because of the words she said. It just kind of made sense for some reason, but I didn't understand why. So I went into a deep, deep study for a number of years on character perfection, and I wrote three books. Here's my three books. I didn't write them out. They weren't published or nothing. They were all from my own studying. And I studied everything I could on character perfection. Everything here is the spirit of prophecy quotations in the Bible. And I, le- I wanted to learn everything I could about it. Man, was I impressed what I learned. And here's one of the things I learned. This is found in the spirit of prophecy. Perfection of Christian character is to be the what? The aim and the purpose of the Christian life. Wow, what a statement that is. Was you taught that at baptism? Nobody told me about that in the beginning. Nobody said anything. In fact, as the further I studied the spirit of prophecy in the Bible, there's Bible statements this as well, but here's another spirit of prophecy statement. At the very outset of the Christian life, every believer should be taught its foundation principles. He is not merely to, make, uh, to be saved by Christ's sacrifice. He is to make the life of his Christ and the what? And the character of Christ, his character. Wow! From the very beginning, this is something should be taught. It's the foundation. That's a big word, you know, foundation. This church is built on the foundation. This is a foundation principle that we all should have been taught. And we'll see more as we go on. But what does the Bible have to say? Oh, yeah. Be you therefore perfect, even as your Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. Yeah, the Bible is actually God's calling us to be perfect as He's perfect. There's no question about it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, does God really require this of me? And then I come across this statement. What does God require? Perfection and nothing less than perfection. There was no denying that God is calling us to be perfect. But not just perfect. He's calling us to be holy. You see, character perfection is to be aim, the purpose of the Christian life. And we need to understand why. We need to understand why. And uh, I'm going to just skype bypass this because we've already read that. So as I heard in Sabbath school today, and I'm always glad when I hear the topic of the law, but sometimes we can go in a wrong direction with the law as well. But here, the Spirit of Prophecy tells us that the law is a transcript of God's character. So if, we, if, we're gonna, if we need to take on God's character, we need to understand something about what God's character is. Amen? So here we find out that God's character is in the Ten Commandments. And uh, since the, the Spirit of Prophecy says it's a transcript, then obviously it must be a transcript. It's written. Now these are all Bible statements as you can see it. So on the left you have God's character. And on the right, you have the transcription of God's character. And I'm just going to kind of go through it really quick, because I know many of you have seen this before, but just in case you haven't, you need to see this. So you can see that God is good. Good, good Is good a characteristic trait? Yeah. God is holy. Is that a characteristic trait? Yep. And God is perfect, pure, just, true, spiritual, righteous, faithful, and loving. You see all that right there on the left-hand side and all the Bible text to prove that. On the right, you have God's law, the transcription of his character. And what do you find? This is in the Bible. The law is what? Good, holy, perfect, pure, just, true, spiritual, righteous, faithful, and loving, or love. And you have the Bible text to go with that. So as you can clearly see, the law is clearly a mirror that reflects God's character. If you see that, say amen. Amen. And that's important for us to understand. And you and me are to make God's character, which is the foundation truth, in the plan of salvation. We're not merely to be saved just by Christ's sacrifice. And there's a danger, brothers and sisters, in the world, and the other churches, and even in our own church, because many have fallen into the lie that all I have to do to be saved is to, is to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And we'll, we'll break that down a little bit farther. But it's true. But you also, brothers and sisters, you must also reflect the image of Christ. The Bible says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So you can see the Bible is very clear that man was created in his image. We're also told that God's character 
was reflected in the character of Adam, youth instructor, June 2nd, 1898. Again, God, when man and Adam and Eve were created, they reflected, just like the law reflects God's character, Adam and Eve reflected God's character as well. We're also told that Adam and Eve at their creation had the law, the transcript of God's character, it was printed upon their hearts. So there's no doubt that this is the way man was. Now I'm going to tell you a shocking truth. The shocking truth is that we must reflect God's image too before Jesus comes back or we won't be saved. And a lot of Adventists, I just say our own people don't understand that. We talk the law a lot. But we don't understand that the law, that, that law can't be just an outward knowledge. It has to be an inward thing to be saved. In fact, this is a very shocking statement. It's found in the spirit of prophecy. Listen to this. The central theme of the Bible, the theme about which every other in the whole book clusters is the restoration in the human soul of the image of God. That is huge. Education 125. That's the plan of salvation, brothers and sisters. God is trying to bring us to a condition as we were before the fall and before he can save us. Amen. And the Bible is clear in this, too. Don't think this is just, oh, this is the spirit of prophecy. Well, I'm not strong in the spirit of prophecy. Let me tell you what. The Bible couldn't be any clearer, too. This is the covenant that I will make with them, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and their minds will I write them. Hebrews 10, 16. There's no question uh, God wants to put his law in our hearts and our minds. He wants us to reflect his character. And in Steps to Christ, page 60, I read, When man is renewed after the image of him, the new covenant promises fulfilled. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. So there is no question, brothers and sisters, God wants to restore us to his image as we were before the fall. That's a part of the plan of salvation. We're told that's the foundation. That's the foundation uh, that is the very foundation that we should be taught from the very beginning, which we have not. And uh, we should talk about this. We need to go into it. Uh, we're also told this, that the law of God from Mount Sinai is a copy of the mind and will of the infinite God. It is sacred, revered by holy angels. Obedience to its requirements will what? Perfect Christian character and restore man through Christ, and that's very important, through Christ, to his condition before the fall, and the sins forbidden in the law could never find a place in heaven. Amen? So we can't be still sinning and going to heaven. Amen. And if we're still sinning, then we're not holy. We're not pure. We're not righteous. The restoration of God's image, his character must be restored in us before Jesus comes back, brothers and sisters. If we make it to the grave before that happens, it's shocking, but we're lost. And that's how important this subject is. Once you get to the grave, it's over with. Probation's closed. And Satan would love nothing more that we understand the importance of the law, but there's no transformation of character in us. In the end, we're lost. The law's a much bigger deal than what many of us think. If you think about it, even in... Uh, the mark of the beast, all he has to do is get man to just transgress one in God's law. You transgress one, you transgress them all. And that's the reason why the Sabbath is the one that's been picked. Because many people think it's not that important. But I know that many people think, falsely think, that when they, when they die and they're resurrected, that Jesus is just going to change their characters in the blink of an eye. That's a belief by many, many people. I want to dispel that belief right now. This is found in Adventist Home, page 319. That many are deceiving themselves by thinking that the character will be transformed at the coming of Christ. But there will be no conversion of heart at his appearing. Our defects of character must here be repented of. And through the grace, uh, through grace of Christ, we must overcome them while probation shall last. This is the place for the fitting up for the family above. Man, make no mistake about it. If you had any doubts about when your character is going to be transformed, you now know for sure it has to happen right here. Isn't that right? In fact, I don't have to tell you people about the sanctuary. I know you know about the sanctuary. And Jesus is ministering right now in the heavenly sanctuary as the high priest, right? He's got his high priestly gown on. But the day is coming when he's going to take his high priestly gown on and he's going to put his what on? His kingly gown on, right? And right before Jesus comes back, he says something. You know what he says? I know you know what he says. It's found in Revelation twenty-two eleven. 
Jesus stands up. This is right before he comes back to earth. Jesus says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he which is what? Righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is what? Holy, let him be holy still. Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is coming back for a righteous and holy people. And righteousness and holiness are one of the characteristics of God, right? It's, one of, it's what we're supposed to gain. In fact, the Bible could not be any clearer. It is written for, um, be you holy for my name is holy, as we already read, and be you therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So, we have to ask ourselves then, okay, so then, so we understand now. God's law has to be written on our heart. Before Jesus comes back, it has to be there. Before we get to the grave, it has to be there. Jesus can't save us. So we know what we need to be. Now we need to understand, well, what's the definition of righteousness? What's the definition of holiness? Well, it's the same thing as it was in, it's found in the law. The law is a transcript of what holiness is. You see, a holy person will never make an image and bow down to it. Will not worship any other god by God, but God. They won't kill. They won't steal. They won't commit adultery. Right? That's what a holy person is. If a holy person was just to break one of the laws, could you say he's holy? Okay. How about a good person? A good person. That's one of God's characteristics. Or a perfect person, right? Or a spiritual person. What's the definite? It's the same thing. It's the law. The law defines what a perfect person is, a holy person is, a perfect person is, a pure person, a spiritual person. And if we just break one, you're no longer, you can't be any of those. Which is the reason why the Bible says, whosoever shall keep the whole law and stumble or break at one point, he is guilty of them all. It makes perfect sense, don't you? It makes perfect sense when you understand that. And when you understand that, you now understand something of the breadth and the width and the height of God's law. Now let me talk about salvation in other terms right now. Let's talk about salvation because today's sermon topic was righteousness by faith. So let's talk about the plan of salvation in those terms. So you know to be saved that we must be justified and what? Sanctified. We all know what justification is. Justification is a matter of just accepting Jesus Christ's death on the cross, right? When I accept Jesus as my Savior, he takes my sins. And when God sees me, and I should say he gives me his perfect life. Wouldn't you say that's right? And when God sees me, he no longer sees my sinful life. He sees Jesus Christ's perfect life, right? God takes my unrighteousness in place. He gives me his righteousness. Is that righteousness by faith? Yeah, it's true. But is that all of the salvation process? Is that all of what uh, righteous by faith is? It's not. It's only half. You see, the problem is that if you just accept Jesus Christ's justification... He takes your sins and he does stand in your place as if you never sinned. But justification doesn't change the heart. It doesn't make you pure. It doesn't make you holy. There's another process and that's called sanctification. And we need to understand that Christ's righteousness, if you're actually practicing sin, there's no way that Christ's righteousness can cover any sin in your life. Let me show you that. In Christ's object lessons, we, we learn this. The righteousness of Christ will not cover one cherished sin. A man may be a lawbreaker in the heart, yet he commits no outward act of transgression. This could be a lot of us right there. God does not excuse sin. He did not excuse it in Satan. He did not excuse it in Adam or in Cain. Nor will he excuse it in any of the children of men. He will not connive at our sins or overlook our defects of character. He expects us to overcome in Christ. Amen? Now listen to this. Righteousness within, that's sanctification. Righteousness within is testified by righteousness without. Day by day he grows into the what? Image of Christ, right? That's what we want to do. Going on from strength to strength. He who is being sanctified will not be, will be self-controlled and will follow in the footsteps of Christ until grace is lost in glory. The righteousness by which we are justified is imputed. We accept Christ, he imputes his righteousness to us. That's justification. The righteousness, see, there's another part to righteousness. The righteousness by which we are sanctified is imparted. That is to be made holy. The first is our title. 
and the second is our fitness for heaven. And that's the part, the part that we need to understand, brothers and sisters. God can't come back and take us to heaven until we're fit for heaven. So you would think that after learning these truths that the Holy Spirit would say, Okay, Ryan, you now understand. Go your way. <laughs> no. God now impressed my heart that you really need to understand this. You need to understand more about sanctification. Because you don't understand it fully. And I will tell you that in a little book, which I don't have time to read the whole book to you, there's a book called Steps to Christ. And I've read this book, I can't tell you how many times. I read it three times recently. And I will tell you, this book could have another title. It should be called Steps of Understanding, which will lead you to Jesus Christ, which will sanctify you and justify you. That's really what this book does. So if you want an in-depth study... God has already given his church an in-depth study of what justification and sanctification is and the process of the sanctification. And there's another book that God really explains it as well in great detail, and it's found in a book called Desire of Ages. In the book of Desire of Ages, you will find in chapter 17 the story of Nicodemus, and we are told there's nowhere uh, nowhere in the Bible that when Jesus ever explained the steps of needed to be saved as far as sanctification. So I can't read the whole thing to you, but I'm going to just cover real quickly a couple of things. So when you read Steps to Christ, one of the first things that we need, we need to learn, which I've been trying to get across today, and I know that you understand, that in the beginning man was, was made perfectly holy. And that's a, so that's an understanding that every Christian we need to understand. That's how God originally meant us to be. And then we're told that man was originally endowed with noble powers and a well-balanced mind. He was perfect in his being when he was created. In harmony with God, his thoughts were pure. Is that one of the characteristics? Yeah, pure. And his aims were holy, one of the other characteristics. So there's a progression of understanding that you will get in Steps to Christ. We're also told that what happened after disobedience. Through disobedience, his powers were perverted. Selfishness took the place of love. You're no longer loving if you're selfish. His nature became so weakened through transgression that it was impossible for him in his own strength to resist the power of evil, and he was made captive by Satan and would have remained so if God not had especially interposed with Jesus Christ. Again, we need to understand we were created perfect, and now we sin, we're no longer perfect. We had God's characteristics, and now we no longer have God's characteristics. And we would have been so forever if not have Jesus stepped in and gave us another opportunity. We're told that after um, he sinned, he could no longer find joy in holiness. And he sought to hide himself from the presence of God. And still is the condition of their unrenewed heart. It is not in harmony with God. And it finds no joy in communion with him. The sinner could not be happy in God's presence. He would shrink from his companionship of holy beings. Why? Because he's not holy. Could he be permitted to enter heaven? He would have no joy with him. The spirit of unselfish love that reigns there, every heart responding to the heart of infinite love, would touch no answering chord in his soul. His thoughts, his interests, his motives would be alien to those who actuate the sinless dwellers there. He would be a discord note in the melody of heaven. That one really stuck with me. I said, if I was to go to heaven without this condition, transformation of heart, I would definitely be a discord note in the melody of heaven. Heaven would be to him a place of torture. He would be hidden from him who is light and the center of its joy. It's no arbitrary degree on the part of God that excludes the wicked from heaven. They are shut out by their own what? Unfitness. God wants to make us fit for heaven. The glory of God would be to them a consuming fire. They would welcome destruction that they might be hidden from the face of him. That is a powerful, powerful text. The law of God from Sinai is the mind, uh, is a copy of the mind and will of God. The sins forbidden there can never find a place in heaven. So you can see why there, this transformation has to take place in us. We need to be born again. We need to have... Uh, the sanctification process happened in the heart. It's a big part of the righteousness. We're also told in Steps of Christ, again, if you follow the steps of understanding, it is impossible for us of ourselves to escape from the pit of sin in which we are sunken. 
Our hearts are evil. We cannot change them. This is an understanding that we need to understand. We can talk the law all day long and how great and wonderful it is, but we need to understand that there's nothing, nothing we can do to change our hearts. Absolutely nothing. Uh, cannot change them. Who can bring a clean thing out of the unclean? That's what the Bible says. Not one. Education, culture, the exercise of the will, human effort, all have their proper sphere. But here they are powerless. They may produce an outward correctness of, heaven, of behavior, but they cannot change the heart. They cannot purify the springs of life. They cannot make you pure. There must be a power from within, a new life from above, before men can be changed from sin to holiness. And that power is Christ. His grace, his power alone can quicken, make, that is to make alive, the facilities of the soul and attract it to God and what? And holiness. So the answer is Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay? We know, know for sure if you follow the logic and the steps of Christ, the steps of understanding, you need to come to a point you realize, stop trying. Okay? Because we, I'm not sure to say you should stop trying. That's a bad thing to say. You should try. But you should understand, but it's if it's just an outward action and there's no transformation of who you are, which is in your heart and mind, what good is it? What is good? You're still unholy. You're still unrighteous. You're still not pure. Or do you think there's any unpure-hearted people in heaven, unholy-hearted people in heaven? No chance. No chance. I'm going to now read something else. I think I already got that, so I want to skip on to something else here. Okay. I'm going to read something to you. And I know sometimes reading is boring, isn't it? <laughs> I understand. You would probably rather just jump, and do- jump up and down and run back and forth to keep your attention. But I want you to know that this is biblical, and this is found in the spirit of prophecy. Because I could tell you a lot of things, and you could just, eh, Whatever. But if you want to go into the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, that's up to you. Okay? I find it very serious. So I'm going to do a little bit of reading here in Nicodemus, and then we'll be close to closing. Okay? I don't want to wear you out, but I find this a very important subject. This is a salvation matter. We need to understand everything that we can on how God instructs us to become sanctified. It's not that people have a knowledge that we need to be sanctified or saved. It's those that are sanctified. Amen? So please bear with me, and please pay attention, and please, uh, please let the Spirit speak to your hearts if we read, as we read this, okay? Everything I'm reading to you right here is found in Desire of Ages, uh, chapter 17, and it's t- entitled Nicodemus. Now, I didn't put everything. I cut everything out of it I could, okay? But I find what's written here is really important. Because I, I can just tell you the answer to a lot of this stuff, but I, again, I want you to see it. I want you to see it for yourself. Nicodemus held a high position of trust in the Jewish nation. He was an honored member of the National Council. The lessons that had fallen from the Savior's lips had a great impression upon him. Nicodemus had anxiously studied the prophecies related to the Messiah, and the more he searched, the stronger was his conviction that this was the one who was to come. So he was convicted that Jesus was the Messiah. He resolved upon a secret interview and learning a special inquiry, the Savior's place of retirement in the Mount of Olives. In the presence of Christ, Nicodemus felt a strange timidity. Rabbi, he said, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus, instead of recognizing this salutation, Jesus bent his eyes upon the speaker as reaching, as reading his very soul, In his infinite wisdom, he saw before him a seeker of truth. Are you a seeker of truth to understand today? That's my question. I hope that you are. He knew the object of his visit, and with a desire to deepen his conviction already resting upon the listener's mind, he came directly to the point, saying, solemnly, let kindly, listen, verily, verily. All right? He's trying to get Nicodemus' attention. Listen, Nicodemus, the truth, the truth. I say unto thee, except a man be born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus had come to the Lord thinking to enter into a discussion with him, but Jesus laid before, bare before him what? The foundation principles of truth. Haven't we heard that before? 
the foundation principles of truth. He said to Nicodemus, it is not theoretical knowledge that you need so much, it's spiritual regeneration. You need not have your curiosity satisfied, but you have to have a new heart. You must receive a new life from above before you can appreciate, appreciate heavenly things. Until, this is very important, until this change takes place, making all things new, it results in what? No saving good. You can't be saved. You can't be saved until you experience this. For you discuss with me my authority or my mission. Nicodemus was a strict Pharisee, and he prided himself on his good works. Do we have good works? He was widely esteemed for his benevolence and his liberality in sustaining the temple service. Do we give money to sustain the church and our tithes and offerings? He felt secure of the favor of God. He was startled at the thought of a kingdom too pure for him to see in his present state. As an Israelite, he regarded himself as sure of a place in the kingdom of God. He felt that he needed no change. How can a man be born again when he is old? Raising his hand with solemn, quietly dignity, he pressed the truth home with greater assurance. Jesus said, Verily, verily, listen, Nicodemus, the truth, the truth, I'm telling you the truth. I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus knew that Christ here referred to water baptism and the renewing of the heart by the Spirit of God. He was convinced while the wind in itself is invisible, it produced effects that are seen. That was that he was in the presence of one whom John the Baptist foretold. Jesus continued, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We are all brothers and sisters born in this world in the flesh. And we're told again that we need to be born again and become born spiritual. And we're told why? Because by nature, the heart is evil. That's how we're all born. And who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. No human invention can find a remedy for the sinning soul. The carnal mind is enmity. That means it's an enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Because out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, and false witnesses and blasphemies. The fountain of the heart must be purified before the streams can become pure. Now I ask you, is that the condition of your heart? I don't want you to answer, I just want you to examine your heart. He who is striving to reach heaven by his own works and keeping the law is a tempting impossibility. There is no safety for one who has a merely legal religion, a form of godliness. You see, brothers and sisters, I find we're like, like Nicodemus. You know, we're the remnant church of God, right? We're the remnant church of God. We are God's church on this earth. And because I'm in God's church, I can't be lost. I sustain the church with my tithes and offerings. Just like Nicodemus. And I, do, and I keep the law the best I can on the outward. And because of that, I feel like I deserve an entrance into the kingdom of heaven. But listen to this. The Christian life is not a modification or improvement of the old, but a transformation of nature. Our nature's got to be changed. There is a death to self and sin, a new life altogether. This change can be brought about only by the effectual working of the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus was still perplexed after all that Jesus had said and used the wind to illustrate the meaning. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound, but cannot tell where it cometh or where it goeth. So is everyone is born of the Spirit. It can no more, lo, longer be explained than the movements of the wind. So we're not going to be able to break down exactly how this Holy Spirit does it, okay? But we need to understand this. A person may not, and this is a very important statement. I want you to please, if you're sleeping, wake up for this one, okay? A person may not be able to tell the exact time or place or to trace all the circumstances in the process of conversion. By an agency as unseen as the wind, Christ is constantly working upon the heart, little by little, perhaps unconsciously to the receiver, and impressions are made that tend to draw the soul to Christ. These may be received through meditating upon him, through reading the scriptures, or through hearing the word from a living preacher. Suddenly, as the spirit comes with more direct appeal, the soul gladly does what? This is the key, brothers and sisters. He surrenders himself to Jesus. By many, this is called sudden conversion. So what, is, what was the difference here? I mean, Jesus already acts like, I mean, Nicodemus already acted like us. But there's something here that 
Jesus needed Nicodemus to understand. He needed to surrender himself to Christ fully. That's the secret in all of this. If you want to understand to be sanctified, it's a complete surrendering. When the Spirit of God takes possession of the heart, it transforms the life. Listen, listen. The blessing comes when by faith the soul surrenders itself to God. That's it, brothers and sisters. Then that power which no human eye can see creates a new being in the image of God. So where's our answer? His answer is in Jesus Christ, right? It is impossible for finite minds to comprehend the work of redemption. It mystery exceeds human knowledge. Yet he who passes from death to life realizes that it is a divine reality. The beginning of redemption we may know here through a personal experience. You may know that the Lord has sanctified you. This is an experience that we need to experience. If you're going through life and you're struggling and struggling with sin and, and you have not learned sanctification, the odds are very good that you have never surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ. And when you do, something really... I'll tell you this in, in, in brief. There was one time I was really struggling with sin. I just felt like it was overwhelming me. Anybody had that happen before? I mean, it was so strong, I thought, I said, you know, I, I can't fight it. And out of desperation, I said this to God. God, save me lest I die. And I mean eternal death. And when I did that, it was like God came in with a flood and all those feelings just vanished away. There was a lesson there that God wanted me to understand. That if you want to have victory over sin, you have to totally complete, completely have faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? All my faith must be in Him. And it only happens when you totally, totally surrender yourself. Yet Nicodemus did not fully understand the Savior's words. He was not so much impressed by the necessity of the new birth as by the manner of its accomplishment. He said, wonderingly, how can these things be? And Jesus said, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Jesus asked, Surely one entrusted with such a religious instruction of the people should not be ignorant of truths so important. And we should not be ignorant of these truths so important either. Amen? We shouldn't be ignorant of these truths. The spirit of prophecy explains that the Jews, that the, the Jews conditioned. They were zealous to maintain the appearance of holiness, but they neglected holiness of their heart. Their great need was the very change which Christ has been explaining. To Nicodemus, a new moral birth, a renewing of the knowledge of holiness. We need to understand that we must be holy. There was no excuse for the blindness of Israel regarding to the work of regeneration. And she goes on and gives all the Bible texts to explain that. He saw that the most rigid obedience to the mere letter of the law as applied to our life could entitle no man into the kingdom of heaven. In the estimation of men, his life had been just and honorable. But in the presence of Christ, he felt that his heart was unclean and unholy. Nicodemus was being drawn to Christ, okay? As the Savior explained to him concerning the new birth, he longed to have this change, his change wrought in himself. I hope today, I've somehow, through the Holy Spirit, through his writings, that we desire to have this change of heart that has been presented to us throughout the Bible in the spirit of prophecy. I hope that is where you're at today. But by what means could it be accomplished? Jesus answered the unspoken question. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth him should not perish and have everlasting life. There is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. That's what Jesus is telling them. There is nothing that we can do to change the heart. The serpent had no power. You all remember the story. The children of Israel were bitten by the serpents and they would die. They were all poisoned. They were, they, they were going to die. And God told Moses, put a serpent on a pole and hold it up and tell the people to look. If they looked, they lived. If they didn't look, they died. There's a lesson there, right? There's a lesson there. The serpent had no power to help them. It was a symbol of Christ. It was a lead their minds to the Savior, whether for the healing of their wounds or for parting of their sins. They could do nothing for themselves but show their faith in the gift of God. They were to look and live. They must accept the word of God. Not through controversy and discussion is the soul enlightened. We must look and live. Nicodemus received the lesson and carried it with him. He searched the scriptures in a new way, not for the discussion of theory, 
but in order to receive the life of the soul. He began to see the kingdom as he submitted himself to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And there are thousands today who need the same thing. Okay, They depend on their obedience to the law of God to commend them to his favor when they are bidden to look to Jesus and believe that he saves them. Solely through his grace, they claim, how can these things be? Through faith, we do receive the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, this is righteous by faith. It's the justification part, and it's the sanctification part. It happens through submission. Um, I'm going to... I might wrap things up here. Uh, we're told here in none of his subsequent discourse did he explain so fully, step by step, the work necessary to be done in the heart of all who would inherit the kingdom of heaven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something to you, and then I'll close. I'm sorry. I know that that's wearing. They have people just read you. I know that's wearing. But I can't say it like she does. I can't say it like she does. I can try all as I, I might. I know the Holy Spirit is not going to work through me as it will through the spirit of prophecy. You know, there was something very interesting that happened in 1888. You know what that was? Righteous by faith. And then we break down that what happened back then. There was a man named Wagner, Elliot Wagner and A.T. Jones. And they were presenting a message. At the time, at the time, the church, our church, was preaching the law, the law, the law, the law, and the importance of keeping the law, the law, the law, right? Rightfully so. Nothing wrong with that. But they weren't keeping the law. They were keeping it outwardly. And so Wagner and Jones, they were preaching Christ, 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 Christ. Church was preaching the law, the law, the law. And they were preaching Christ, 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 Christ. And the church looked at them and says, what? They're, they're doing away with the law through Christ. But that's not what was happening at all. Wagner and Jones wasn't doing away with the law. They were saying, listen, brothers and sisters, you can't keep the law without Christ. So if you want to keep the law, you need Christ, 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 Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's righteousness by faith. We're justified through righteousness and we're sanctified through righteousness. When we accept Jesus Christ, it's imputed us. We have a title to heaven. In order to be sanctified, we have to completely surrender ourselves completely to Christ. That's all we can do. Yield ourselves. Give ourselves to Him. And when we do that, then He changes us, and not until then. Amen. All right. So I'm going to read a couple statements. The blessing comes when by faith the soul surrenders itself to God. Then that power which no human eye can see creates a new being in the image of God. Amen? The whole heart must be yielded to God or the change can never be wrought in us by which we are to be restored to his likeness. It must be completely yielded. We must yield ourselves wholly to him. The yielding of self, the surrendering all to the will of God, the soul must submit to God before he can be what? Renewed and what? Holiness. He, Jesus, invites us to give ourselves to him and it remains for us to choose. And that's what you will follow in Steps of Christ, the Steps of Understanding. Um, I'm going to read just a couple more. I'm sorry. I, I just can't help it. These are just too good. We must have faith in his power. You cannot change your heart and make yourself holy. But God promises to do all this for you through Christ. Give him yourself. Just as surely as you do this, God will fulfill his word in you. If you believe the promise, now that you have given yourself to Jesus, do not draw back. That's a very important part. Once you do that, it's a continuous thing. It's not something you do once. It's a continuous thing. Do not draw back and uh, take yourself away from him. But day by day, I am Christ. I have given myself to him. Ask him to give you his spirit and keep you by his power. As it is by giving yourself to God. As it is by giving yourself to God and believing in him that you become his child. The proud heart strives to earn salvation. Both our title to heaven and fitness for heaven are found where? In the righteousness of Christ. That, my friend, is true righteousness by faith. The Lord can do nothing toward the recovery of man until he is convinced of his own wickedness and stripped of all self-sufficiency. And he yields himself to the control of God, then he can receive the gift that God is waiting to bestow. From the soul that feels its need, nothing is withheld. He has an unrestricted access to him and all fullness of dwells. And that would happen to me. 
when I was being overwhelmed with sin, I felt my need that there was nothing I could do. This thing was going to overwhelm me. I was drowning. I reached out to God and said, God, please save me. And like a flood, he came in, and the temptation was gone. So God couldn't help me because I didn't feel my total need of him, my total dependence of him. And so if you haven't learned that lesson, I hope that you have. This is righteousness by faith. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, never let I live. But not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. So we can't even, there's no boasting in this. When I surrender myself to Christ and he comes into my life, and I'm now, he's living his life in me, I can't boast because there's nothing I can do, right? He does it all. It's Christ in me, he doeth the works. Now I'm going to read this. This truly is the last statement. And this is a statement in a little book called uh, Christ and His Righteousness by Wagner. Now, Ellen White endorsed Wagner and his understanding of righteousness by faith, okay? I will tell you, though, if you have this book, the first half of the book, Ellen White did not endorse, okay? He spends a lot of time, Elliot Wagner, uh, on how Christ maybe had a beginning, which is not nowhere found in the Bible or the Spirit of Prophecy. But she did endorse his understanding of Christ our righteous, him and Jones. Now, here's a statement that Elder... Wagner made. As soon as we submit ourselves to Christ, we become loose from Satan's power. Amen. Again, if we yield ourselves to be servants of God, we are his servants. The whole secret overcoming then lies in first wholly yielding to God with a sincere desire to do his will. I hope it's your sincere desire to do his will. I hope that we go from this day, from not because of anything I said. I just brought you a lot of reading, okay? At least what I showed you was from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Nobody can come to me and say, Ron, you're a nutcase. I read it from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. If you would like, I'd like to have a prayer with you. If you like, you just kneel if you like. I'm going to share with you a prayer that I give. And maybe many of you have already learned these lessons. And many of you are already doing this. But this is what I do. My whole life has been changed and transformed by the understanding of this. Dear Heavenly Father, first of all, I come to you very humble, Lord. I know that my heart is wicked, it's evil, it's sinful. In fact, it's an enemy of you. I know that I can't change it. All I can do, but I know that you can. And I know that you ask me, all that you ask me to believe by faith, first of all, that you can change my heart. And also that I need to understand that I can't, I need to understand that there's nothing that I could do to change. So therefore, I totally submit myself to you. I yield myself to you. I give you my will. I give you myself. I surrender. I give everything to you, Lord. And I want to walk by faith, Lord, that you will change my heart and make me righteous, pure, holy, and perfect. I know that I will probably never feel that way in this life, Lord. But I know that I will see changes in my life. And I will know that this is a divine reality. That a person can know that you are working in their lives and a person can be changed from unholiness to holiness, from unrighteous to righteousness, from unperfection to perfection. Lord, we ask that you write your law upon our hearts and minds. May we be ready, Lord, for whenever you come. If you be alive, if we be alive when you come, Lord, may we be found holy and righteous. And Lord, if we end up in the grave before you come. May we be found holy and righteous when you come. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, the only one, Lord, that can change us. Lord, we look to you for the answer to this dilemma. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.